CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet. With more than 2 million downloads, listeners in over 100 countries, and part of the Self-Help for Smart People podcast network. In this episode, we explore the power of moments in our lives. Moments are the way that we remember our lives. They define us, and yet we don't have a coherent way of thinking about and understanding them. Can you engineer the defining moments of your life? Can you create more moments that are powerful and impactful? We discuss this and much more with our guest, Dan Heath. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. There's some amazing stuff that's only available to our email subscribers, so be sure to sign up and join the email list today. First, you're going to get an awesome free guide that we created based on listener demand. This is our most popular guide, and it's called How to Organize and Remember Everything, which you can get completely for free along with another surprise bonus guide. You got to sign up to find out by joining the email list today. Next, you're going to get a curated weekly email from us every week called Mindset Monday. Our listeners have been absolutely loving this email. It's short, it's simple, it's filled with articles, videos, stories, things we found interesting or fascinating in the last week. Lastly, you're going to get exclusive content and a chance to shape the show. You can help us vote on guests. You can help us change our intro music and much more. You can even submit your own questions to upcoming guests. You'll also have access to exclusive giveaways that only people who are on the email list get access to and much, much more. Be sure to sign up and join the email list. There's some incredible stuff, but only subscribers who are on the email list are getting access to this awesome information. In our previous episode, we looked at the gap that exists between learning and doing. Why it is that so many smart, 
ambitious people invest hours in their growth and development, but fail to see breakaway external results for the time that they've invested. If you sometimes feel overwhelmed by all the things you know you could or should be doing to level up your life or career, then our previous episode will blow your mind. We explore what science is telling us about the actual execution of concrete individual growth and measurable upward mobility across various dimensions of life. We share the most effective tactic for moving yourself from learning to doing with our very special guest, Peter Schallert. Our interview last week is what you need to finally take action on what you've been procrastinating on. That episode is one of the most unique and powerful episodes we've done on the science of success. And I highly recommend checking our previous episode out, our interview with Peter Shallard. It will make a tremendous impact on you. Now for our conversation with Dan. Today, we have another awesome guest on the show, Dan Heath. Dan is a senior fellow at Duke University's Case Center, where he founded the Change Academy. He received his MBA from Harvard Business School and is the co-author of several New York Times bestsellers. His recent book, Switch, was named one of the best nonfiction books of the year and spent almost an entire year on the bestseller list. Dan, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks for having me on, Matt. It's a pleasure. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show today. Your books are obviously really well known and we're, and me and Austin are both big fans of, of you and your work and your brother's work. Oh, thank you. To get started, I'd love to dig into, you know, your most recent book and talk about kind of the power of moments. You know, what led you to think about moments? Why was that kind of the catalyst of the new thing that you wanted to dig into and study next? Well, appropriately enough, the power of moments actually emerged from a very specific moment when Chip and I were together. So Chip and I live on opposite coasts. He's on the West Coast and I'm East Coast. And so we only actually see each other maybe once or twice a year. And, and one of those is at Christmas. So a couple of years back, we were at our father's house in Durham, North Carolina, where I also live. And we had squirreled ourselves away into an office to do some work. And, and we were actually working on a different book. And it was a book that had just become a bit of a slog. Like we'd been put in, we, we had put in probably six or nine months worth of work. And we were getting into that like sunk cost stage of, uh, we were reluctant to give it up because we put in so much work, but we weren't super jazzed about keeping going. And, and at some point in this conversation, this phrase popped out of conversation, um, defining moments. And I, I think mainly as a way to procrastinate our real work, we started just riffing on defining moments and, you know, talking about defining moments in politics, like some of your older listeners will remember when George Bush Sr. was running for president against Clinton. He had that that moment where he professed amazement at, at a UPC scanner in the grocery store. And, and so that was supposed to illustrate that he was kind of old and out of touch. And that was a defining moment in politics. And you think about defining moments in sports and this, uh, as an example, that, that beautiful medal ceremony that happens at the Olympics and just all the, the pageantry and the pride that goes with that. And, and the kind of amazing realization that there was a human being that just thought that up. You know, I like to picture them in a conference room with a whiteboard and they're like, what if the athletes were standing here and here and the flags go up and the anthem? And that, that in other words, the moment was designed. And we started getting into the academic research that, um, that plays into what makes moments special. And so anyway, we, we kind of riff and riff on this and it's just this, this kind of uncontrollable brainstorming session. And we probably filled up 10 or 12 pages in a word document just with associations and mysteries. And 
And we come out an hour later into the living room where everybody's gathered and we tell them, we've got a new book idea. And there was this visible sense of relief on all their faces because apparently they had all despised the other topic we were working on, but hadn't had the heart to tell us. So that was the birth of, of this book. And, and the gist is, is true to that original moment, to be honest. It's, it's a book about why it is that certain brief moments in our lives have such disproportionate memorability and meaning. You know, that if you think of, across your life, there are probably 10 or 15 or 20 moments that are worth in, in the sense of their relative importance in your life, you know, 10 years. And, and so the question is why? What makes these moments? And can we learn to be more in control of them, to be more intentional about creating more uh, defining moments in our life and work? So why is that the case? <laughs> well, there are some patterns that we found as we looked at very different kinds of moments. So, so when I talk about moments, of course, there's a strong personal element here. You know, you think about the moments when you found your calling or you found your partner or even just moments that were special to you, uh, moments with your kids or on vacations. But we're also talking about moments at different scales. So we're also pointing out that that really for any given span of experience, whether it's a lifetime or the span of a hotel stay or the span of a college semester, for any given span of experience, there are certain moments that are uh, disproportionately memorable and meaningful. And so the question is, are there patterns that link these ideas that happen on very different scales? And, and the answer we came up with was yes. And that in fact, they share four patterns or four elements, if you will, that they seem to be made of similar ingredients. And so the first of those ingredients is elevation, that these moments seem to lift us above the everyday. You know, you think about um, birthday party and, you know, there's, there's, games and decorations and cake and you know it's it's engineered to create positive emotions the second is insight and these are moments when in an instant we realize something about ourselves or our world and and sometimes those insights are amazing and pleasant you know you look across the dinner table and you realize the person you're dining with is going to be your your spouse you know your soulmate Sometimes they can be sobering. You know, you realize you can't take another day of this job that you're in. But the, the point is that, it, that in an instant, your, your view of the world uh, can shift. The third of these elements is pride. And, and what's interesting about pride is, you know, my guess is everybody listening right now has a stash of personal mementos that, that you keep somewhere in your house and maybe in a box in the attic or buried in the back of a drawer. And it's, it's kind of like if there was a museum of your life, like these would be some of the exhibits, just things that you can't bear to throw away. They have, they have special significance to you and would probably be valueless to anyone else, but to us, they're priceless. And my guess is that a lot of those mementos are actually relics of moments of pride in your life or potentially your kids' lives. You know, there are uh, awards or certificates or thank you notes from people who are important to you or, you know, trophies that you couldn't bear to, to throw away or diplomas. And so moments of pride are, are, are times when we're at our best and times when we're recognized for what we're capable of. And then the final element, so we've talked about elevation, insight, pride. The final element is connection. It's so often these these meaningful, memorable moments are moments when we deepen our ties to other people. 
you know, and that can be in a personal relationship. Uh, it can sometimes be among groups too. You know, what's interesting about groups is groups often bond together in times of struggle. You know, so what brings groups together is not just happy, happy, happy time. You know, you think about boot camp, like what, what creates lifelong attachments among people who've been through boot camp together is that they had to struggle. You think about, you know, volunteering for Habitat for Humanity and, you know, spending a weekend putting up a house like that's connection born of struggle. And so the point is, is two things. Number one, if you look at powerful moments, they tend to be composed of these four elements we've talked about. But the more important point is that you can flip that around and make it practical. And that is to say, if you want to create better experiences in your own life or for the customers you serve or for the patients you serve, for the students you serve, these are the ingredients. These are sort of the colors in your palette in order to create greater experiences. That's fascinating. And I want to dig into, you know, how we can kind of be more intentional about creating these moments. But before we get into that, I want to kind of dig deeper into the importance of moments and why they're so critical. You know, when we look back across our lives and the way we kind of think about our memories and our experiences, do we weigh and treat sort of each memory and each experience equally? Certainly not. Yeah. And in fact, that's one of the most important realizations that came to us through this book and that we're trying to communicate to our readers. So so let me kind of back up and I'll tell a quick story and then I'll kind of overlay the academic research on that. So um, so we understand the, these peculiar properties of memory. So uh, there's a hotel in Los Angeles called the Magic Castle Hotel. And my guess is most of the people listening haven't stayed there. And so just kind of conjure up in your mind, like the magic castle hotel. And let me first tell you, it looks nothing like your mental image that you're conjuring up. It is an utterly ordinary looking motel, really more so than a hotel. It's it's actually a two story apartment building that was built in the fifties that was later converted over to this hotel use, uh, painted bright yellow. The rooms are are totally average. Um, I stayed there myself. You know, it, it, it would be doing well to compete with the Holiday Inn Express. The lobby is completely underwhelming. It looks vaguely like, a, uh, you know, the waiting area of a place you might get your oil changed. And so the question is, you know, why am I talking about this, this totally normal, unassuming place? And the reason is because if you go to TripAdvisor right now and you search for LA hotels, the Magic Castle Hotel is rated number two in all of Los Angeles, ahead of the Ritz-Carlton, ahead of the Four Seasons. And so how in the world could that be true? Well, what the Magic Castle has figured out is that, that moments have power. And one of my favorite examples is by the pool uh, in the courtyard of this, um, this facility, there's a cherry red phone mounted on the wall. And just above the phone, there's a sign that says, Popsicle Hotline. And if you pick up the phone, somebody says, Popsicle hotline will be right out. And within minutes, somebody comes out wearing a suit, holding a silver tray that's loaded up with grape and orange and cherry popsicles. They bring the tray over to you at poolside and they're carrying the tray wearing white gloves like an English butler. And they do all of this for free. They have a, a snack list menu where you can order, you know, Cracker Jacks and Sour Patch Kids and root beer at the front desk. All that stuff is for free just for asking 
you can check out board games to play with your families or movies to watch. They have magicians doing tricks in the lobby several times a week. They'll do your laundry if you drop it off in the morning, return it washed and folded by the end of the day. And so when I describe that side of the Magic Castle, you can start to put it together. How if your family's taking a vacation in Southern California, you know, you might actually choose the Magic Castle straight up over the Ritz-Carlton. Why? Because they're delivering a better experience. And so this is where, this is where the, the research on memory comes into play because what we know about our memories of experiences are, are, are two things. Number one, there's a phenomenon called duration neglect, which says that we tend to forget the length of experiences. And, and what we're left with when we remember things are, are certain moments, certain scenes, certain fragments. And this is very easy to test for yourself. You know, just remember, you know, some semester in college or uh, a work project from a year or two ago or, or the last vacation you took. And you'll notice you know, our memories aren't like videos that we can watch beginning to end. You know, they, they degrade. And what we're left with are, are a certain set of, of seemingly random snippets, except that, of course, they're not random. And in fact, psychologists have discovered that there are two kinds of moments that we disproportionately recall. We recall the peak or the peaks of, of the experience, which are the most positive moments in a positive experience. And we remember the transition points, the beginnings and the endings. And so if you think about the Magic Castle story through this lens, you know, what you see immediately is that the Magic Castle Hotel is really good at creating peak moments. And, and what's fascinating about that is is it's almost like they've, they've exploited, the, in a good way, uh, this property of memory. They know that a year down the road, you're going to forget that your room was average. You're going to forget that the amenities in the bathroom weren't fancy. You're going to forget that the lobby wasn't that cool or well-designed. What you're going to remember is there was this phone by the pool that if you picked it up, it was a popsicle hotline. And so that's the significance of this is that that all of us to some extent are in the business of creating experience for other people. Again, it might be our kids or our, our customers or our patients. And what we need to realize is to create a great experience for people, that doesn't mean nonstop perfection. You know, there's a lot that's imperfect about the Magic Castle Hotel. But if we get the peaks right and if we get the transitions right, you know, we can create a great experience that, that doesn't bankrupt us or, or doesn't mean, you know, we have to have every detail impeccable. And that's what moments can do. That's fascinating and such a great story. You know, especially I've looked at some of the photos of, of the Magic Castle and I know you have kind of a YouTube video where you share some of those images. And uh, it, it really is, incre it's, it's almost like shockingly unremarkable. You know, I mean, it, it literally looks like a, like a Holiday Inn or something. It's, it's totally plain. And yet, it's amazing that they're literally more highly rated than the, the Ritz-Carlton of the Four Seasons. Yeah, I love the fact that, uh, that number three, the last time I checked on the list, was the Four Seasons Beverly Hills. I mean, if that doesn't tell you something about the power of these ideas, you know, the fact that, that somewhere that is one-twentieth as nice and as luxurious as the Four Seasons Beverly Hills can actually win the competition in the customers' minds, I mean, that's extraordinary. And I think it underscores kind of this broader point that you're talking about really, really beautifully that, you know, we don't, we think in moments and we remember our lives, not as kind of a clean narrative of this and this and this and this, but really as a series of experiences and moments that happened. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's well said. And I think, you know, the, the aha for, for Chip and me was this is one of those things that Chip and I both love things that are obvious in retrospect, like obvious when you when you say them and yet no one is living that way. So what I mean is I think all all of us, we realize when we look back on our experiences, hey, we don't retain the whole thing. Hey, there, there are moments that we recall and moments are really the medium of memories. And yet we don't live in a way that is intentional about creating more moments. You know, so I'll give you an example of how this changed my life in a small way. You, you remember the uh, the solar eclipse from, gosh, was it last year or the year prior? Oh, yeah. I live in North Carolina and, and we were not in the... Uh, what do they call it? The, the path of totality. We were not in the path, but we were close. I had to drive from uh, Durham where I live to, uh, to Asheville. And, and so my wife and I were talking about this and it meant we would have to take a day off of work and we'd have to deal with childcare. And it was like a three and a half hour drive each way. And, and we knew there were going to be a, you know, a ton of other crazies on the road too. So it may be a five hour drive by the time you add in the traffic. And, and so anyway, we were kind of weighing this in a cost and benefits way and the evidence was pretty conclusive that we should have just stayed at home and watched this on YouTube, right? I mean, there's just so much inconvenience and nuisance tied up with this. But when you start thinking about this through the lens of moments, what you realize is, you know, two years from now, we're not going to remember that it took an hour to line up childcare. We're not going to remember that it was a nuisance to be stuck in traffic or that we had to take a day off of work. What we're going to remember is being there at this very special time. And so we did it. And, and you know what? It was, it was exactly as we expected it to be. Most of that day was a nuisance. You know, we listened to some good music and good podcasts on the road, but nobody wants to spend, you know, five or six hours of their day on the road, no matter how good the podcast is. And when we got there, would you believe it was so overcast, we couldn't even see the eclipse. But, but of course, what we did see was that in a matter of, of seconds, you know, the world goes completely dark. And, you know, the uh, the insects start to chirp because they think it's nighttime. And then, you know, a minute or two later, when the sun starts to, to dawn again, like the birds start chirping like it's the beginning of the morning. And and it was extraordinary. And I can already feel like the the fading happening with all of the stuff surrounding the eclipse. And I really I really cherish that moment that we had there. And so that's an example of how, you know, this property of memory that seems obvious when we think about it can actually become, if you flip it around, a filter for how to think about living a more meaningful, memorable life. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY 
at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have but you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire, because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. That's fascinating. And, and it's really interesting because there's kind of this counterintuitive element where you're, you're kind of actively inconveniencing yourself and making yourself sort of less happy in the present, but creating a memory that actually makes you think that you were happier, sort of feel happier in, in the future. Exactly right. I mean, I think that's one of the real tensions that we came across in researching this book is that a lot of our, of our lives are engineered to make things smoother, you know, like to, to a first approximation, what, what we try to do in our lives is what we did yesterday, but a little faster, a little more efficient, fewer kinks, fewer problems. It's, it's like we're, we're in a smoothing operation. There was a great quote from the authors of a book called Surprise that, that they said, we feel most comfortable when things are certain, but we feel most alive when they're not. And I think that captures the heart of this tension that, that the normal routines of everyday life are designed to kind of iron out wrinkles and, and problems and bumps and novelty. And yet it's precisely novelty that is memorable. Like there's a, a phenomenon called the reminiscence bump in psychology where if you ask people just unprompted to talk about uh, you know, their memories from life, they tend to disproportionately recall 
memories from the period roughly from age, call it 16 to 30, which, you know, if you're talking to a 75 year old is, you know, what, a fifth of their life. And yet uh, the dominant portion of their most memorable moments comes from that era. And so the question is why? And the answer is, this is a period of extraordinary novelty in our lives. You know, it's, it's our first kiss. It's our first girlfriend or boyfriend. It's our first time away from our parents. It's our first job. It's our first uh, falling in love. It's, it's our first time moving cities. It's our first time managing our own finances and on and on and on and on. And, and it's this extraordinary time of, of upheaval, you know, both good and bad. And then as you go through life, you know, in your 30s and 40s and 50s, there's nothing that dramatic that really happens, right? You find the person that you want to spend your life with. You find the job that you really appreciate. You find the community where you want to put down roots. And those are incredibly positive things. I'm not arguing that we should, you know, rip up our lives for the sake of ginning up memories. But but one side effect of that is that we are not laying down as many dramatic and, and memorable moments as we were in our youth. And so the question is, what do we do about that? And I think that the answer is really as simple as that old a saw of variety is the spice of life. But notice it doesn't say variety is the entree of life, right? It's a variety is a spice, meaning that we can get a lot of bang for our buck with, with moments. And what it means is, as we say in the book, we've got to learn to break the script more often to, to disrupt those routines. And when we were writing the book, we would periodically kind of test out ideas with, with our readers. And, and we were both surprised, Chip and I, that one of their favorite exercises was something that we thought was just so simple and, and almost kind of corny. We called it the Saturday surprise. And the assignment was all the things that you usually do on your Saturday, whatever that means for your family. Maybe it's the same kind of breakfast and cartoons and a visit to Home Depot or, you know, whatever the norm is for you, your job is to disrupt those norms. And so people would do these crazy things. They would, you know, treat their own city as if they were a tourist and go to the top couple rated sites, many of which, of course, they hadn't seen because they were locals or uh, one family put their daughter in charge of the day and let her run all of the activities. And another group decided to drive three hours away and spend the day with family. They didn't get to see very much. And, and they just felt extraordinarily positive about these experiences. It was like they got this rush of, of joy and, and memorability. And it was nothing fancier than just saying, hey, part of what we've got to learn to do is, is resist our routine sometimes, to just disrupt them. And that's the source of novelty. And novelty is the source of, of memory. Really, really interesting. And I mean, I think, you know, as, especially as someone, I spend a lot of time thinking about memory. It, it's fascinating to sort of play with the idea of how do I sort of engineer uh, life and engineer experiences that are going to be more rich and more fulfilling. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about your experience. Like what, uh, have, have you played around with things that seem to be working? How has that philosophy changed? Like what you seek out? Well, I think this, I mean, your book and, and this conversation, especially, I, you know, I actually, I wrote the words, create more moments in like gigantic letters, like taking up basically an entire page of, of a Word document. And I'm going to print that out and like put it up right behind my computer, just as kind of a reminder for myself to create more moments. Uh, because I think it's something that, you know, with a little bit of whether it's kind of either foresight or spontaneity or whatever, you can really 
create so much more richness in your life and and, and something that I find kind of inspiring and, and personally for me, something that I want to move towards. And I should also say, I mean, we're talking a lot about the importance of these ideas for our personal lives. And I think that's that's key to the book. But there's this whole other layer of of thinking outward, of thinking about, you know, the people that we serve. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. When you start thinking in moments, you start spotting these things that are just absurd, if not infuriating. Like I was working with a retail bank in Australia and we were talking about, you know, this, this special relationship that banks have with their customers is very unusual, a, a relationship that lasts decades and, and banks are actually privy to a lot of the most important things that happen in your life. You know, banks will tend to know when you get married because there's another name on your account and they'll know when you, um, start and stop jobs because your direct deposit changes and they'll know how things are going for your retirement because you're saving or not saving and, and on and on and on. And so we were talking about, you know, what kinds of moments could a bank create for its customers to deepen that relationship? And one of the things we landed on was imagine when you finally pay off your mortgage, you know, potentially the, the, the fruits of 30 years of diligent payments and, and, and how good that, that should feel. And then we were saying, you know, that should be a capital M moment where the, the manager from your local branch comes to your door and knocks on the door and brings you flowers and, and shakes your hand and says, congratulations, like you, you finally got there. And by the way, and they pull out your deed that's now yours. You know, they've been holding it to kind of uh, secure your loan, but now it's yours free and clear. And they framed the deed, they hand it to you. They say, you know, congratulations, this place is 100% yours. You know, this great kind of moment of elevation and pride and connection. And so, you know, we were brainstorming about this and somebody in the back of the room raises their hand and says, you know, I work in the mortgage department here. And, and not only do we not do that, we actually charge people a deed transfer fee when they complete their mortgage. And, and we, you know, charge them $75 or whatever it was to, to flip the deed over into their name. And so the whole crowd just groans. Because you start to realize that when you tune into the fact that moments have this disproportionate importance and you tune into the fact that that we can to a certain extent predict which moments should be more important than others like this this kind of, you know, cresting the mountain moment of, of paying off your mortgage, you realize just what an asinine idea it is to charge someone a fee at that moment. You know, I think instantly they all realized it. And, and fortunately, to their credit, I came back about 18 months later and they said they had actually started piloting this this kind of home visit idea, which I thought was just genius. That's fascinating. And I, and I think this is a good kind of opportunity to broaden the focus and kind of segue more into how we can think about not only engineering these moments for ourselves, but also how we can engineer them for other people. But before we kind of dig into that, one other thing that I wanted to just circle back to that I thought was really fascinating in the context of kind of coming back to this idea of the magic castle and and the story behind mm -hmm. that, you know, one of the things that I forget if you said it in a speech or you wrote it, but it was this kind of idea and, and sort of juxtaposing the, the, the furnishings and how sort of simple they were versus how amazing the experiences were there. It was this idea that fixing problems is not what makes people happy. Could you, could you kind of extrapolate on that, especially now that we're kind of moving into the transition of, of talking more about creating moments outside of ourselves? Yeah, I think this is um, for, for anybody who who cares about the customer experience. I, I think 
this is a really important point. And, and the idea is the way that we've been trained in the business world to create a better customer experience is, is what do you do? Number one, you, you gather uh, feedback from your customers. You take surveys or interview them or whatever. And then you fix the things they're complaining about. And, and that makes sense, right? You, of course, you want to fix things that your customers find dissatisfying. But the issue is that fixing problems doesn't make people happy. Fixing problems whelms people. And what I mean by whelms is it doesn't overwhelm them. It doesn't underwhelm them. It just whelms them. Things are working as they expected them to work. So, you know, if your cable TV functions exactly as it's supposed to for a full month, like that's not something that makes you giddy with excitement. You know, you're not going to look back on that period nostalgically a couple of years down the road. It's just, it's whelming. Things are working as they're supposed to. And whelming is good because, you know, Lord knows there are a lot of products and services in the world that are underwhelming and that cause us frustration and disappointment. And, you know, we have tech support calls. And, and so whelming means we've basically delivered the goods as expected. But that's a very different thing than delight or joy or, you know, having such a delightful experience that you're determined to share it with all the people in your network. And the way I would explain that is to say, Imagine two versions of the Magic Castle Hotel. So we've described this place as this very mediocre looking place. So imagine, you know, 20 years ago or whenever the Magic Castle converted over from an apartment. Imagine two doppelganger versions of the Magic Castle. And, and so they're starting with the same kind of physical facility, but they run it in different ways. And, and in Doppelganger 1... They run the game plan that I talked about earlier with the focus on moments and experiences and the popsicle hotline and the board game menu and so forth. And in Doppelganger 2, imagine that they just relentlessly take survey data and fix all the things that people are complaining about. You know, when people complain their pillows are too soft, they firm up the pillows. And when people complain the rooms are too dim, they add lighting. And when people complain it took too long to check in, they add staffers to fix that. And my question to you is, where do we think that those two doppelgangers would end up on something like the TripAdvisor rating system? And my contention is that the, the problem-fixing doppelganger of the Magic Castle would end up at about rank 1100, while you know the moment-creating version uh, is where it is, which is number two. And so I think there's this divide that, that is a little bit counterintuitive that if what we want is to create a memorable experience for people, great experiences hinge on peak moments, but, but peak moments don't create themselves. And furthermore, fixing problems won't create peak moments. So if, if peak moments don't create themselves, how do we sort of set about creating them? You know, let's start sort of for ourselves and then ultimately for others as well. Well, I think that's that's the very topic of the book is once you clue into this idea that great experiences hinge on peak moments, how do you create them? And, and that's where the, the four part framework, elevation, insight, pride and connection comes in is as you think to yourself, you know, what great experiences are made over these four elements? How can we boost these elements? And so, you know, I'll give you an example of of something that was done for employees. There's um there's a woman who worked at John Deere named Lonnie Lawrence Fry. And one thing she had observed was that, that they were 
not really investing in the first day of work for a new employee, which is the reason we can know in advance that's an important moment is because it's a transition point. Remember we talked earlier about peaks and, and transitions are disproportionately memorable. And so if you're clued into that, you kind of have some natural intuition like, hey, we better get this right because this is a big transition for new employees. They're coming to a new place, working with new people on new work. It's a physical, environmental, and, and social transition. We better get this right. And yet the vast majority of companies kind of half-assed that day. You know, you show up and uh, the receptionist didn't think you were starting until the next week. And uh, you get to your computer and um, it, and it's there, but it's not set up. And you have to wait for IT to set up your internet account. And, you know, some good Samaritan whisks you around to meet like 22 people in eight minutes and you forget all their names immediately. And and that's a first day. But but this woman, Lonnie Lawrence Fry, said it can be something more. And so they created this this extraordinary experience. I'll kind of walk you through this from the perspective of a new hire. You know, you sign your offer letter and, and before you even start, you start getting emails from from a buddy on your team and they send you a photo and they introduce themselves and they tell you about where people eat lunch and, you know, where to park on your first day and, you know, what to wear to the office. And so you show up on your first day, 9 a.m. and there's your buddy at the front door. They're holding a cup of coffee for you. They're there to greet you, shake your hand. And of course, you recognize them from the photo they sent. And they bring you into the lobby. And the first thing you notice is your name is in bright lights. Like on the on the monitors in the lobby, it says, you know, welcome, Dan. And you're like, wow, that, that's cool. You know, that was thoughtful. And they bring you up to your desk and you've already got your first email. And it turns out it's from the CEO of John Deere, Sam Allen. And he sent a little video that and when she talks about his career at John Deere, he wishes you luck. And he talks uh, about the mission of John Deere, the place that you're joining. And he says, you know, our mission is to try to provide the food and the shelter and the infrastructure that are going to be needed by a growing global population. And then your colleagues take you off site to have a nice lunch and they pepper you with questions about your background and tell you some of what's going on. And over the course of the afternoon, your boss and your boss's boss both stop by to make appointments to take you out for coffee in the next week. And, and I've just hit a fraction of what actually goes on. But, but the point is, by the end of the day, you walk out thinking, man, we're really doing work that matters here. And I seem to matter to the people around me. They seem to want me here. And that's a powerful feeling. And, you know, back to that, that framework we've been talking about. I mean, this is kind of all four elements, you know, the elevation of seeing your name in bright lights in the lobby and the insight that comes from learning what your, your colleagues are up to and how it fits into the big picture and, and the pride that comes from working for a place that fights for food and shelter on a global basis. And of course, the connection of getting to know someone even before you walked in the front door the first day. And so that is an engineered moment that, that someone just created from scratch that has a big impact on employees. And if you know, the book could be reduced to one sentence. It's we can be the authors of peak moments in the same way that, that Lonnie Lawrence Fry was. It's really interesting because it's it, it's another great example. Uh, you know, when you think about your first day at work in many, many of these kind of transition points in life, so many missed opportunities to create these kind of unique, memorable moments for people. You know, one of the other kind of things that you that you wrote about and, and, and talked about in the book is is this idea of kind of using moments as a, a communication tool. And, you know, I'm a very 
analytical person. And so when I typically try to sort of convince someone of something, I'll kind of explain everything and walk them through. Here's reason one and two and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, in, in the chapter where you talk about kind of tripping over the truth, you, you had some really good stories about how powerful moments can be as sort of an explanatory tool or a sort of a communication device as well. Yeah, let me tell you a story that's actually not in the book, but uh, but I think illustrates this concept we're talking about. So I met a small business owner who owned a man- manufacturing company in, in the Midwest, and and he fancied himself kind of an enlightened owner. And so he'd done a lot of things to try to make his employees' lives better, uh, including starting a 401k plan. And and he had a pretty generous match. It was 6 or 8%, as I recall. And, and he'd gotten a little frustrated that nobody seemed to be signing up for this, you know, so he was expecting they'd all, you know, make rampant use of it. And, and so he tried pestering them and reminding them of the enrollment and, you know, sending around the, the forms that you needed to sign up and so forth. And, and nothing really seemed to move the needle. And so this one day he, uh, he brings everybody together into the conference room he's the last one to enter. And he comes in without saying a word. And he's holding this, this medical bag, this kind of doctor's bag that looks heavy and comes over to the the table in the center and unzips it, turns it upside down and out pours this huge pile of cash, you know, which, which kind of gets everybody's attention in the room. And then, and he explains, he says, you see this pile here, this is the amount of money that all of you just voluntarily gave up by not maxing out your 401k contribution. And he said, at the end of this meeting, I'm going to take all this cash and I'm going to scoop it back in this bag. I'm going to zip it back up. I'm going to take it back to the bank and I'm going to put it in my account. And he said, my question to you is, we're going to do this again at the same day next year. And do you want this cash in your pocket next year or in mine? And he said, there was a rush to sign up for the 401k plan that day. And so that's an example of something, as you said, that we call tripping over the truth. It's, it's a moment of insight. But what's interesting about it is that it comes with speed. It comes with force. There's the, you know, this kind of aha that happens in your brain when you imagine being in that room and seeing that cash and, and kind of feeling this twinge of, oh, gosh, I can't believe I, I you know, gave up that opportunity to have that be my money. And so that's a very different strategy that, that, than we're used to when we try to persuade people or, or, you know, gain people's support for our ideas. A lot of times we just try explaining things to people. It's like, we just want to dump information on them, or we want to share our conclusions and share our bar graphs and our, you know, Excel spreadsheets. And, and what's far more powerful for that is to figure out a way that we can kind of reconstruct the insight that we had and, and allow them to discover it. And, and that's what tripping over the truth is about is can we put people in a situation where the discovery is theirs, where, where the insight, the epiphany happens in their brains. And it's not just an information distribution effort, which is the way that uh, I think most people in organizations function. And so our, our call to people is, is if you need other people's support, you know, can you think about a way as in this example of the table full of cash to have them trip over the truth? Yeah, I, I absolutely love the story of, of the 401k. And, and I think it's such a such a powerful illustration. You know, what would be kind of a, a, a tactic or a strategy 
that you would recommend, you know, for somebody like me who who typically thinks and tries to explain everything so analytically to people, how can I kind of step back and how can listeners like me step back and think about what, you know, what's a way to turn this into a moment that can kind of create a burst of insight for somebody? John Cotter, uh, who's the organizational change guru from Harvard Business School, he's got a great model that I think is relevant for this. He says that um, the way change happens in organizations is, is we think it's all very analytical and people think their way through and they make plans. And, and he says that what he's seen is that there's a three-step process that happens. The people see something that makes them feel something that leads them to change. You know, see, feel, change. And that's a very useful mental model of how change actually happens at the at the human level. See, feel, change. So I, I was uh, working with uh, a group from uh, DuPont at one point, and they told me about th- some efforts they had underway to reduce waste in factories. And and they said it kind of like the 401k story. They said they had kind of struggled and they'd communicated a lot about why this was important and why it was strategic. And here's the money that's at stake and so forth. And yet, you know, it just wasn't catching on. And so one of the factory foremen just one day took a bunch of his employees in a van over to the landfill where DuPont's factories, you know, deposited the stuff that they uh, were throwing out. And there was like a whole section of this landfill that was basically devoted to DuPont's trash. And he took them out there and, you know, they, they piled out and they just kind of took in this awesome in a negative way landscape of trash, you know, and realized like, this is ours. This is our waste. And there was something about that that just kind of seemed wrong, you know, seemed emotional in a way that none of the information and the strategy and the the, the financial logic weren't. And and so that, the foreman told me, was was the real start of the initiative, the real moment when people kind of claimed it as theirs. And then that's a classic example of what Cotter's talking about, that the people saw something that made them feel something that gave them the desire to change. And so I think thinking in these emotional moments, I think would be my advice to people who are trying to change things. And what role do rituals play in kind of crafting these moments? Rituals in in what sense? I mean, I guess kind of thinking about when we look at the example I was specifically thinking of was kind of the story of the the woman who couldn't get over her husband. Mm. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is a lot of the capital letter moments that cultures have created, if you think of, you know, wedding days and birthday parties and uh, bar mitzvahs and quinceañeras and graduations, they're moments that mark transitions in life. You know, a, a wedding is an obvious transition, really important transition in the life of a person. The same with the graduation ceremony and the same with the bar mitzvah. And what's also interesting is there are other transitions in life that seem to lack these moments associated with them. And so it can become a kind of challenge for the rest of us to, to spot these missing moments and, and try to create something to demarcate them. So let me give you a concrete example of what I'm talking about. There was a woman whose husband had passed away. They had been loyal, faithful Catholics, and that had always been kind of the heart of their relationship. And it had been, gosh, what, six or seven years, I think, since the husband had passed away. He'd had Lou Gehrig's disease and had a slow, you know, painful decline. And, you know, six or seven years later, this widow comes to a counselor 
uh, named Kenneth Doka and says, you know, I feel like I'm ready to start dating again to maybe have a relationship, but I just can't take my wedding ring off. It feels disloyal. You know, I'm, I believe that marriages are for life. On the other hand, she knew that, that, that it was for life uh, and she had honored her commitment to her husband. And so she felt stuck. And so this counselor, Kenneth Doka, has, um, has written a lot about the power of rituals to help people who are grieving. And so he, he came up with this idea. He worked with her, her Catholic priest to create a ceremony one Sunday afternoon after mass. And he brought together, you know, most of her close friends and family members, many of whom had been at her wedding. And so the priest called them up around the altar and he started to ask her some questions. Uh, you know, were you faithful in good times and bad? Yes, I was. Uh, in sickness and health? Yes. And so the priest basically led her through her wedding vows, but in the past tense. And so it gave her the chance to affirm to the people that were gathered together that, you know, she had been faithful. She had been loyal. She'd honored her commitments. And then the priest said, may I have the ring, please? And so she takes it off her finger and hands it to the priest. And uh, she said later that she felt at that moment the ring just came off as if by magic. And the priest took the ring and, and he arranged for her ring and her husband's ring to be interlocked together and then you know, affixed to their wedding photo. And so this ceremony, basically what it's doing is it's, it's allowing her to signal publicly that her identity is about to change. It was, it was a moment that allowed her a fresh start. And I think this is a really interesting story because it, it clues you in on the fact of how pivotal moments are in our lives. And, you know, the fact that we look to a moment to capture and demarcate a couple getting married and we look to a moment to in, in the form of a funeral to, to provide closure for someone who we cared about. And we look for a graduation to signal the transition from uh, from student to employee. And it makes you think. You know, we've got to be careful in life when there are really important transitions like this one from being a widow to being someone who's who's ready for another relationship, that if if those transitions are missing moments, it often creates this kind of unease. You know, this widow is struggling with, you know, is it okay for me to do this? And how are people going to look at me if I do this? And, and do I feel okay about this? And the ceremony that priest and Kenneth Doka created allowed all of that to be condensed into a day. It's like before that day, she was not ready after that day. So that's, I think, the, the power of ritual and, and what a moment can do. And I think that's a great example, too, of, of kind of so, sort of a nebulous process, finding and creating a moment that kind of anchors that, that transition point and, and ties all those things together really neatly. There's some research, by the way, uh, kind of on a, a less emotional scale on what's called the, the fresh start effect. And um, a professor named Catherine Milkman uh, was, was kind of the, the lead on this body of research. And, and her insight was, we do this thing, New Year's resolutions every year. And basically, you know, to a first approximation, everybody's resolutions are the same. It's like we all want to lose weight and exercise more and save more. And, and, and what's really interesting about resolutions as a phenomenon is that there's truly no difference in your goals or aspirations between December 31st and uh, January 1st, right? There's no difference. But what we're doing is 
we're allowing ourselves to clear the slate. This was her observation that that really a, a New Year's resolution is is kind of a mental trick we're playing with ourselves where we say, even though we may have binged on junk food every day in the previous calendar year, like this resolution says, the only thing that matters is what I do going forward. And so she said, aha, well, it, if this kind of slate cleaning effect is something that people are craving, if that's why we created these resolutions, shouldn't there also be more opportunities to do the same thing? And so she started studying, for instance, attendance at, uh, at gyms. And of course, you know, it spikes at the beginning of every new year, but, but it also spikes, interestingly, at the beginning of every month and, and even at the beginning of every week. So it's, it's like we're all doing this thing where we need an excuse to clean our ledger, to, to forgive ourselves of falling short in the time periods before. And on the first day of a new year, on the first day of a new month, on the first day of a new week, on the first day of a new semester, we can start with a clean slate and it gives us hope and optimism for, for change. So for somebody who's listening that wants to kind of concretely implement the things we've talked about today and start using kind of the power of moments, start creating powerful moments for themselves, what would be kind of one piece of homework that you would give to them as kind of an action item or a starting place as a sort of a first step towards doing that? Let me give you two easy ones and, and one stretch goal. So the stretch goal first, on our website, heathbrothers.com, we've got a whole slew of, of resources from all of our books, actually, that are, that are available for free. So you just kind of log in and, and get access. And, and one of those documents is called A Week of Memories. And it's our attempt to help people in one week create the most meaningful, memorable week of their year. And so every day has this kind of recipe and there's challenges and, and, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna underplay this. This it's difficult to make this work, but we know it's possible because we've had uh, many people write us and tell us about it, but it, but it takes effort, but I think the payoff is, is enormous. So if, if you're up for a challenge, check out that week of memories document and follow, follow the plan uh, for something you can do in the next 24 hours. Uh, I think there's some really easy ones, you know, just to create a moment of elevation, you know, tonight, do something that, uh, that breaks the script, whatever it is you would do ordinarily do on, on a weeknight, you know, tear it up and do something else, you know, uh, grab, take out sushi to surprise your partner and bring home a movie. And, or if you, if you watch a lot of movies, like get out an old board game or, you know, get one of those cheesy conversation starter decks, uh, you know, just uh, try to find multiple ways to disrupt your routines. And I think you'll see what I mean about novelty having surprising power. The other thing that's more outward looking is, and this is a theme in the book that we didn't have a, a enough time to talk about, but, but recognition. And that is to say, find someone at work or, or maybe someone in your personal life, a, a mentor or, or a boss or someone who's, who's done something that, that you found really precious and just say thank you to them. You know, tell them why what they did was so important and so meaningful and just give them a little bit of praise, you know, and, and, and I don't mean text or email. I mean, face to face, because I think that's important for these moments. And you'll be surprised. Number one, it's weird that you get butterflies when you're about to say something really nice to someone. I don't completely understand that phenomenon, but, but there's this kind of You'll have to work through the nerves to go up and just say something great. And I'm going to tell you, you are going to feel like you're on a high 
for a couple of hours afterwards. I mean, it is just, it's like emotional magic. And meanwhile, not only did you feel good, you created a peak moment for them as well. Uh, that that's something they'll remember for many, many months afterwards. So those are a couple of easy things and one, one hard thing to try. And you touched on this a little bit, but for listeners who want to learn more, want to find you and, and your work online, what's the best place for them to do that? I would go to the heathbrothers.com site first. That's where you can find all those goodies I was talking about. There are podcasts and workbooks and, uh, and whatnot. If you're interested in, you know, Chip and I wrote a previous book called Decisive about decision making and behavioral economics. And if that's the kind of stuff you enjoy, you might check out a podcast that I'm involved with called Choiceology. It's a seven episode season. You can binge the whole thing in a few hours. And, and it's been really, really fun to work on. It's a lot of the principles of behavioral economics, but but manifest in stories that are just, you know, super dramatic, you know, people dying on mountaintops and being attacked by sharks and, you know, high stakes negotiations by sports agents. And so it's kind of fun to see these classic biases that are studied by decision making people, but but in the form of these really epic stories. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all this wisdom, obviously tremendously insightful, and it's been an honor to, uh, to have you here. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a fun conversation. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? 
Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.